Hi, you're listening to Hello Movies, a podcast for people who really love going to the movies. I'm your host, Lana Gay. Sit back, kick up your feet, and dig into the new movie about the ups and downs of Elton John's rise to fame. We've got trivia about actors who tried being musicians and didn't always succeed, and music that got popular all over again because of movies. And we'll check in with our favorite movie expert, Tanner Zipchin. But first, Rocket Man. It's a little bit funny This feeling inside Rocket Man, the movie based on Elton John's life, has been winning accolades and getting a ton of buzz, especially for its star Taron Egerton. At the Cannes Film Festival, the audience gave the film, and Taron, a standing ovation. And yes, those videos you may have seen of Taron crying with joy are very real. What did you say your name was again? My name is... Reggie! Reginald Dwight. Reginald. That's my granddad's name. Reginald Dwight would go on to become Elton John, a working class kid who went to become a global superstar. These days, some people might think of him as the man behind all those songs in The Lion King. But Elton John has always been a larger than life character. This film is there to capture that. Rocket Man's big, splashy, surreal musical numbers seem only fitting in a movie about the pop icon. Taron Egerton, whose portrayal of Elton John has been described as perfect, agrees. Elton's lived an extraordinary life and they wanted to try and employ a way of telling the story that is equally as extraordinary or tries to be as extraordinary. And so that's where some of these kind of crazy, kooky fantasy moments came from. Don't you want to just sing without this ridiculous paraphernalia? People don't pay to see Reg White. They pay to see Elton John. Sorry. I know. Taron had his work cut out for him, from shaving half his hair to match Elton's receding hairline to singing all of the songs himself. If you thought he sounded familiar during the songs, you may have heard him in the animated movie Sing. He plays the gorilla who belts out, I'm still standing. Taron had to sing songs that are known and loved around the world. Imagine the pressure, no simple task. Elton John has sold over 300 million albums and still sells out stadiums around the world. Taryn says he felt the pressure. I mean, who wouldn't? But he also managed to have some fun. I absolutely love to sing. I have yeah. done since I was a kid. Up until now, it's mainly just been sort of annoying my family and friends. So to have an outlet for it, both I and the people I care about are quite grateful for that. He also had fun exploring Elton's many fantastic and outrageous costumes. New outfits were specially designed by Julian Day for the movie. Julian Day is definitely the most brilliant designer I've ever worked with. He's incredibly collaborative and he understands the relationship between the costumes and performance. Day had his work cut out for him trying to live up to Elton's incredibly extravagant wardrobe. There's over 50 pairs of shoes. There's over 50 pairs of glasses. There's a massive, massive amount of material. I really love the Yellow Brick Road outfit. I obviously looked at The Wizard of Oz. So he's got blue suit with ruby red shoes on, made of Swarovski crystals. The shirt is made of silver fabric, which is like the Tin Man. He's got a straw hat on for the scarecrow and a big fake fur coat for the lion. Elton, who says he has 250,000 pairs of glasses alone, explains why the costumes matter so much. When I do a show, even now, 20 minutes before I go on, I choose my outfit. 
And until then, I don't become ill. And then when I put my outfit on, I'm in the park. But there's more to this movie than just crazy costumes and musical numbers. Taryn says the film explores the raunchier side of Elton's rise to fame. Some of the perils of it, too. Yes, it's a musical fantasy based on Elton's life, but it doesn't shy away from the darker side of his journey. It is rated R, after all. But is it a biopic in the end? Director Dexter Fletcher explains how it kind of is and kind of isn't. Well, it's certainly a spectacle, but uh, a biopic's quite a loose term. It's a musical, and it uses uh, Elton's music as a backdrop. Yeah, it's based around Elton's life, but having done biopics before, I understand, and I think people who see them do that, you know, there's a certain element of fantasy and artistic license that has to be afforded to telling a true story about someone, and that's... It's not a documentary, you know, no biopics are. That's why they call them biopics, so you can kind of play fast and loose with the truth. The movie was a huge hit at this year's Cannes Film Festival, even generating some Oscar chatter. The screening was capped by a live performance of Elton and Taron singing Rocket Man together on stage. I, for one, cannot wait to see it. Rocket Man arrives in theaters this weekend. Taron Edgerton gets to be Elton John in Rocket Man and does an amazing job of recreating his classic songs. Jamie Foxx scored an Oscar for playing Ray Charles in the movie Ray, as did Sissy Spacek for playing Loretta Lynn in Coal Miner's Daughter. Rami Malek just wowed the whole world as Freddie Mercury in Bohemian Rhapsody and got himself an Oscar too. But for every actor who plays a musician, there are dozens of others who want to be one. And a lot of them have given it a shot. Keanu Reeves had his band Dogstar, Kevin Bacon has the Bacon Brothers, some stars even float back and forth between movies and music like modern-day Frank Sinatra's. But not all actors are meant to be musicians, even when they give it a good go, which a lot of them have done. One famous actor made an album called The Futurist, and I want you to guess who it is. I'll give you four choices. Was it one, Macaulay Culkin, two, Scarlett Johansson, three, Michael Sarah, or four, Robert Downey Jr.? And just so you know, all four of those people have actually made records. But which one released The Futurist? You'll get the answer a little later in the podcast. As a full-fledged music nerd, I'm always fascinated with the songs that make it into movies. They often introduce a whole new audience to a band. Sometimes it changes that band's entire trajectory as well. A great example was the relatively unknown band from Albuquerque, New Mexico, The Shins, who are now synonymous with Zach Braff's Garden State. Not only did they have two tracks featured in the movie, it's pretty great to have the world introduced to your music via Natalie Portman's character, Sam. Remember, she passes over her headphones saying, you gotta hear this song. It's gonna change your life, I swear. Maybe that's the secret to selling hundreds of thousands of copies of old records. Not to mention the soundtrack. That soundtrack was so good. Garden State? Absolutely. Then there are those cinematic moments that also bring a song back from a decades-old catalog and introduce it to a whole new generation. I'm not saying Generation X would have never heard Lou Reed's record Transformer, but I will say it's hard to hear the song Perfect Day without conjuring up scenes from Trainspotting. Same goes for Iggy Pop's Lust for Life. Choose your friends. Choose your future. Choose life. Queen, of course, is the greatest example of this. We've seen this happen to them twice. How could you forget the comically magic moment in Garth's car in Wayne's World when four friends, including Mike Myers and Dana Carvey, are belting out and headbanging along to Bohemian Rhapsody? Galileo! 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 
That not only made for one heck of a pop culture reference for all time, but also brought out an old Queen song and brought it back to the top of the charts 17 years after it was released. It happened again last year with the movie Bohemian Rhapsody, which not only shone a spotlight on that great song, but showcased the band once again to yet another generation. So who can outdo that? You could predict we'll see Elton John topping the charts again because of Rocket Man, but let's not forget, Elton John and Tim Rice composed the songs for The Lion King as well. So count on hearing Circle of Life everywhere again this summer when the live-action remake hits theaters, along with, you know, Benny and the Jets. Earlier we talked about actors who have dipped their toes into the world of music and gave you a real album title from one of them, The Futurist. Here are their names again, so you can make your best guess about who it was. Was it one, Macaulay Culkin, two, Scarlett Johansson, three, Michael Sarah, or four, Robert Downey Jr.? The person I thought it might be was Macaulay Culkin. He is not the guy. The star of Home Alone did have a band called The Pizza Underground. They were described as a pizza-themed comedy rock band. They released an EP called Live at Chop Suey, and then they eventually broke up. The next one we're eliminating, Michael Sarah, the Canadian actor from Superbad and Juno. I'm going down to the railway station, gonna get a ticket to ride. His album, which he recorded and mixed himself, was called True That. So that leaves two Avengers, Black Widow, a.k.a. Scarlett Johansson, and Iron Man himself, Robert Downey Jr., Scarlett Johansson's first album came out in 2008 and had a lot of Tom Waits covers on it and some pretty good reviews. So was it The Futurist? Nope. Scarlett's album was called Anywhere I Lay My Head. And that means, yes, it was Robert Downey Jr. He sang, played piano, and wrote eight of the songs on his album. She says you're throwing life away not a lot of people know about it, it did get a shout out at the end of the movie Captain America Civil War when Hawkeye calls Iron Man the futurist. Who knew? I guess Hawkeye did. It is time to check in with the host of the Cineplex pre-show. We're going to learn all about those movies that should be on your radar. Tanner Zipchin's on the line from LA. What are you doing down there? I'm down here for the new Angry Birds movie, Angry Birds 2. It seems like just yesterday I was in Hawaii for the first one, and now, yeah, we got a second one, and the original cast is uh, back for the most part, so it's uh, looking forward to it. Nice. Okay, so now I'm curious about Aladdin. Have you seen that yet? People are, are pretty excited for this one. I know there were, at, you know, at the first look at the genie, people weren't sure what to expect because you know, it was, it was Will Smith taking on the Robin Williams role, and he wasn't blue in those original images, but then... Uh, as we got to see more from the movie and more of the trailer, yes, the genie will be the classic Aladdin blue genie, and people got a, a lot happier about it. And also, uh, shout out to uh, a Canadian. We got Mina Masood playing uh, Aladdin. He actually beat out everybody in, in the world for this, and uh, a Canadian is now playing Aladdin in live action, which is very cool. Oh, I like that. That's awesome. I, I, now, are there any Canadians in Godzilla, King of the Monsters? I don't know. The thing with these monsters is they've been living on this world for so long. We don't know. Maybe they are Canadian. (laughs) I don't know. But yeah, in this new movie, we've got like the uh, biggest Godzilla we've ever seen in film. I know there's been Godzilla movies uh, for the past uh, several decades. This is the biggest he's ever been. This is a sequel from that uh, Brian Cranston film a couple of years ago. 
Uh, and this is supposed to all tie into a potential, you know, Godzilla vs. King Kong movie, uh, which will kind of cross over with the, the, you know, the Kong Skull Island movie uh, a few years back. So people are excited about that as well. I'm excited about it. Now, I- I'm also excited about John Wick 3 Parabellum. Uh, we spoke to the dog trainer, Andrew Simpson, in the last episode, and he said there are dog stunts in the movie that no one has ever seen before. Do you think the dogs steal the show? Yeah, I can uh, attest to that. There are some moments when, when Halle Berry and her dog start kicking some serious butts. I think kicking more butt than John Wick for a good part of the movie, and it is so cool to see. But if you are going in to see John Wick, uh, chapter three, you got to go see uh, the second one first because it literally takes place the moment after the last one ends. So John Wick, uh, he just finished uh, maybe taking out the wrong guy, a uh, member of the high table. So then they, the whole organization turns on him. He's on the street. He's got a bounty on his head. So this movie literally starts with him running down the streets of New York and then the action just starts and it stops as soon as the movie's over. It's just nonstop the entire time. Okay, for something... A little different from all these big-budget blockbusters, there's Booksmart. And we heard from director Olivia Wilde in the last episode, and she said she wanted to make a generational anthem, kind of paying homage to the John Hughes movies that she grew up with. Uh, Do you think she succeeds? Yeah, I sat down with her. Uh, I couldn't believe, I I even told her that I can't believe this is her first feature film. It feels like she's been making movies forever. Now, I know she's had a lot of practice directing music videos, uh, for bands like you know Edward Sharp and Red Hot Chili Peppers, but now she's stepping out into the feature film. She had some uh, pretty, you know, I'm mean, gonna say some some friends of hers helping her out on the producing side. Will Ferrell, Adam McKay uh, stepped up with that, and uh, the movie knocks out of the park. It's such a great film. It's my, I think it's my favorite one of the years so far, hands down. Maybe of the last, you know, couple years actually. I absolutely love this movie, so I, I stand by it. Excellent. Well, thanks so much for taking the time, Tanner. We know you're busy out in L.A., and we'll talk to you in a couple weeks when you're back in Toronto. Sounds great. And that's a wrap. We'll be back with a new episode in two weeks. Please subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. If you have comments or questions about anything you heard on the podcast, let us know at hellomovies at cineplex.com. Hello Movies is brought to you by Cineplex Entertainment. Lori Ulster is the writer of our podcast. Sarah Cooper is our producer. Ellie gordon Marshall is our sound designer and mixer. Our series consultant is Jeff Ulster. And our executive producer is Catherine Jun. A special shout out to Tanner Zipchin. I'm Lana Gay. Thanks for listening. See you at the movies. <laughs>